0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Aesthesia. On this episode, we spoke with Deborah, a woman who gives us a patient's perspective. Um, I won't go too much into her story or her background, as that's the basis for her monologue and our later discussion. Uh, But I do want to emphasize how much of a joy it was speaking with her um, and how how pleasurable was learning from her. Uh, Deborah's a truly special person um, with a lot to give to the world. Uh, and I will cherish our conversation. Um, we were also joined by her significant other, Paul, uh, a man who wears many hats, and one of those being able to help me choose the music for this episode. Um, it was a joy working with him as well, so we thank him for that. Uh, as I know, this will probably be our last podcast for a while, um, if possibly ever, and it was this was a good episode to go out on uh i'd like to say thank you to everyone who supported us along the way and who helped out so now please enjoy the episode with deborah
1: gonna sing you're not on no no keep him off let him think he's talking thanks okay so tell me when really Okay, I'm doing this podcast for Amy yordwan Jin, a fourth-year medical student. Uh, we have spent some time together through a program um, with hospice, and it's been really wonderful for me. Um, because I was preparing this monologue for a medical student, I thought I would begin by describing myself with a standard medical introductory sentence. Uh, this is the same kind of sentence I learned in psychology graduate school, and the same kind of sentence most healthcare providers learn to describe patients. Deborah Joy Lewis is a 56-year-old married disabled retired psychologist and professor with advanced sacral cordoma. Let's break that sentence down and expound on things that are in the sentence and discuss some things that are not in that sentence. I may sound like I don't like this type of standard Western medicine introductory sentence, and if it does sound like that, it's because I don't. Uh, I have a passion for making art and studying art history. I'm a retired psychologist and professor, that's true, and I love many of my jobs. I feel very pleased when former patients or students tell me I helped them in some way or I alleviated suffering or they learned something from me. The term psychologist and professor define large parts of my life commitment and do belong in the medical introductory sentence as a way to describe how I made a living. I'm also an artist. I never got a chance to make a living at it, so it would never make it into the sentence even though it has enormous meaning for me. I am an artist. I think of life through the lens of art. I sometimes conceive of my life as a living art installation. My house, my yard, my family, my friends, and my work Trying to alleviate human suffering and train future psychologists. Life as art, life as canvas. We are each a sacred story, a narrative. Cordoma. My disease is in the sentence because it would be important in a healthcare setting. My guess is most people hearing the word Chordoma don't know what it is because it's a very rare type of disease. I have the kind that began growing in my lower spine. I now have large tumors in several places. I take pain medication. I am in the process now of considering a, a new medication. I've had a strange road through the healthcare system the last eight years since I was first diagnosed. My husband and I have met some excellent people and some not so excellent people. My life will be shorter than it should, partly because of illness and its rarity and partly because of how the illness was treated or specifically how it was not treated at certain times. My illness has changed how i view certain aspects of time, but it did not make me suddenly philosophical. I was always this way, to the great annoyance of certain people.
2: I hope my illness has helped me become wise, because yeah, wisdom is great. Drum, 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 drum. Drum, drum, drum,
1: Okay, race. I did not include race in the medical description, though it's usually there. Issues of ethnicity, race, diversity, inclusion, social justice, ethics, and the context of people's lives have been major areas of interest for me for many, many years. I have blue eyes, grew up naturally blonde and pale skinned in Phoenix, Arizona. But white has become a tough identification for me. If you are in healthcare, you likely would have put white in a sentence by looking at me and not asking. My religion is not in that sentence, because it usually isn't included in that sentence, but in a fill-in-the-blank on a form somewhere. For me, religion is related to my race identification. I am Jewish, or specifically half Ashkenazi. The Ashkenazi are a group of Jews most associated with Eastern European Jews instead of those from the Middle East. Interestingly, Ashkenazi is identifiable in DNA tests. I was raised Jewish, and people have told me I am not white. They have also told me I am literally Satan, that was unnerving, that I'm part of any and all world financial problems, I'm going to hell. I helped kill Christ, I'm in league with black people, black people to take over the United States from the white Christian people to whom it belongs. I've been told I'm a particular problem because I don't look, look Jewish, which means I'm manipulating people and being sneaky. The apparent fact that I do not look Jewish has been told to me by people who tell me the very next sentence that they've never met a Jewish person. Being Jewish helped mold how I interact with the world. In America, if you're half something, half black, half Jewish, half American Indian, it's assumed that you are that something mixed with white blood and tainting it. You're not identified as half white, you're identified by the part that is not white, and I believe it is meant to identify people as less than. I don't identify with anything in the census boxes, so screw you, I check out. My maternal grandfather was my spiritual center and the kindest man I've ever known. He was born in the Pale Settlement in Russia in 1903, the only place Jews were allowed to live. My family lived in extreme poverty with dirt floors. My papa saw his first-class window in Germany on his way to America when he was around 10. He spoke Yiddish, Hebrew, and Russian. He landed in Galveston, Texas, and the family went to Chicago. He learned English, excelled in school, and became a dentist. I never described him as Russian. I never heard him describe himself as Russian. I never heard him speak a a word of Russian. We were not of Russian descent. We were Jews. And we get thrown out of places. in ethics. Nothing about my life philosophy is in the sentence, though I think it would be hard to include or even elicit. When healthcare professionals say, tell me about yourself, I think it would be an unlikely answer. I'm very existential and working on having more voice as a woman. I do ponder existentialism and ethics daily. I hone my life philosophy. I think it's a better descriptor of who I am than my name, but that would not fit on a blank in a form. I did look up the meaning of my name again recently. Deborah is the only woman with her own book in the Bible. She was considered wise. People came to her for advice and justice. She was badass. She led men to victory in battle. No one burnt her at the stake later, so I accept Deborah as a descriptor. Being a good person is critical to me. When I was younger, I wanted to be nice. I wanted everyone to like me. Now I want to be good. I want to be around good people.
2: And I'm gonna do my
1: My age is in the sentence. I am 56. Age is used in research on how to approach an illness, so, from a Western medicine healthcare point of view, it makes sense to include it. In my thoughts, I should be at the height of my influence in my profession. I think I would be if I had not gotten sick. Marriage. The fact that I am married is in this sentence. My husband is Paul Rubin. I'll avoid speaking about my first husband except to borrow a phrase from an Italian TV show we were just watching where the woman makes a major understatement by saying, I was young. The end. My husband Paul is an organizing principal in my life and my main support in this health crisis. He is my best friend, the person I enjoy talking to the most. I'm a big fan of his. I find him handsome and interesting. We both love to laugh. He laughs at my jokes. He makes me laugh. He gets me. We never fight about important things, just petty ones. He forgives my flaws even though he sees them clearly. <laughs> children. Sometimes I've seen the number of children someone has in that first medical sentence. My adult son is important to me. He is 26 now and not part of my daily life. When he was a child, he was a main organizing principle for me and I've had to learn to let him lead his own life and make his own mistakes. He asked me once if my love was unconditional. I said my love was unconditional, but my approval was not. He agreed. I worry enormously about how he will fare without me. The medical sentence is a place to start. I am not saying it's very accurate or inclusive and at times it seems misleading, but I needed a place to start and I suppose a medical report does also. So I decided to put my life into a haiku. Girl, student, mommy, escape, teacher, artist, wife, healer, patient, friend. All are identifications and one is an action verb. Each identification leads to more. For example, as a girl, I was female, I had a family, I lived in a neighborhood, I went to school, I was lucky, I was cursed. My life philosophy as it stands today. I said early that my life philosophy was a better descriptor of me than my name, so I will explain its basic tenets. I have four attributes I want to be remembered for. Compassion, courage, and discernment are the first three, and unsurprisingly, the pillars of my ethical philosophy. The fourth thing I wish to be remembered for is being funny. Side-splitting in the worst times of funny, I think I am funny. I'll try to tell a joke later. Of the three ethical pillars, compassion, courage, and discernment, I learned compassion first in the form of the importance of kindness. Discernment came later, and I still wonder how good I am in analyzing a situation and the character of those involved in in time to make a decision. Without good discernment, it is hard to know what the correct action is. It is impossible to know if courage is called for. I gained some courage through difficult events. I had to admit all people are not good, and compassion will not heal all ills. Action is required when necessary. Abuse of power cannot go unanswered. Well-earned enemies are not shameful. They are necessary. So, I have an example. At its very base, my philosophy is don't be an asshole until you have to, and then go all out. Don't be an asshole, compassion, until you have to, discernment, and then go all out, courage. Of my added trait of humor, I learned its importance early as well. I love laughing. I love Monty Python's silliness, creativity, keen observation, quick-wittedness. I have a dark side to my humor That's an understatement. Humor was reprieve. Humor is reprieve. we
0: Jin and I sit down for an interview with Deborah and Paul.
3: Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Of course.
4: Thank you.
3: Well, to start off, um, you know, we just listened to your monologue earlier, and I think as medical scenes, both Cooper and I, one thing that really stood out was just how you wrote it for us with the introductory sentence um it always kind of takes me by surprise how much we take the humanities aspect out of healthcare mm. when you know like when a patient is just reduced to their diagnosis or their current symptom just their age and when you said that I'm an artist um I was a psychology professor and all these things that you did it, it was never brought up and I just always wondered why that is because it would, I think, take only a microsecond to just put that in there as well.
1: Yeah, at the University of Virginia Medical School in 1990, um, they asked me to rewrite some of the intro forms that people would fill out when they came into the hospital. And so I got all excited. And Being from Arizona and California, I think I was a little more liberal than most of them. But I wrote spiritual assessment with some more lines than just religion with a line. Um, because i had found a lot of people, when we talked about religion, it either meant nothing to them or it meant a lot or a lot about their healthcare or in ways I had not imagined. Um, at my supervisor, who, was, who I loved very much, but as soon as he saw it, he made me take it out, redo all the copies, put religion in one line back in. He said, he goes, they will be really upset if they see this. Um, and I have noticed some changes where, um, you know, if it's going to be a legal problem, people pay a little more attention. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know if this idea is you're supposed to leave it all at home and um, never have an emotion. Um, doctors don't have emotions. Psychologists don't have emotions. I, and it's all just so, so crazy. I mean, it's just like a real Western insanity to me. Um,
4: So what's changed, really?
1: um, I think now it's in some ways good and bad in that... um, So uh, the relaxation response was still pretty new in 1990. So it was just new that stress could cause health problems. That's in my lifetime. Wow. Before then, it had been woo-woo weird stuff. So... This idea that psychology and your psychology and your stress level and and your life behaviors can affect your health is pretty much a done deal. That's that's decided. And so now medicine has really incorporated a whole lot of things, the from psychology. I see a whole lot of things, good things, incorporated from psychology into medicine. The problem I see is now they expect doctors to also be psychologists.
4: So the, so the pendulum is swung. Too far in that direction? or
1: No, It that because we have a physician-centered system, um, in the same way, not, not that all doctors do acupuncture or anything, but the, the idea at first that acupuncture was dangerous and terrible, um, and then Nixon went to China, and a writer came back and wrote about it, and they decided, no, acupuncture is great, but only doctors can do it. And that was true for a while. Um, that idea that, okay, this is good stuff, but only we can do it. Doctors are the only ones who can do it. And so um, I kind of made fun of a doctor at Mayo who gave me a survey when I was moving to narcotics about narcotics, and I said, okay, (laughs) three of those questions are the same one. Um, If you add up the numbers, it means nothing. That's a horribly written survey. I don't know who wrote it, but it's statistically completely unreliable, invalid, and everything else. I'd be happy to bring you a book on... Survey Writing 101. I remember this. And um, what I realized was that because surveys were found to be really useful, people just started writing their own. (laughs) Hospital systems just started writing their own. Doctors just started writing their own because they said, this is useful, so we'll do it without understanding, I think, um, the depth of it. And... All I did is study psychology, well, for five years in graduate school, and then a couple more years, and then the whole time I was teaching. So I've done nothing but study psychology for more than 20 years. And I don't think, I think it's too much to expect young doctors, like the ones we were talking, first-year medical students, to be able to deliver bad news without help, you know, or do, do some of the very heavy emotional work they're expected to do. Without any training in it, worries me. I don't know how we got off on this particular.
4: Yeah, we topic, did, but It worries we, me. We uh, we did a, um, a Zoom thing with uh, first year students at Mayo uh, recently last week, and uh, the doctor uh, who runs it, Doctor Bright, runs a class, was talking about. Uh, they refer to this class. I don't. I don't even know what the real name of the class is. They called the Sad Class, and uh, we did it in person a year before, and fifty or sixty. Young students there and and it was a whole the vibe was different because of the uh you know one dimensionals compared to being right there and and, in that in the the first one people were uh sobbing and and uh bringing up a few people bringing up their own personal loss that they recently had and it turned into quite a session and uh we both went to the respective restrooms afterward and I, I met three of the guys in there just bumped into them and one guy gave me a big hug and you know and it was just a very interesting dynamic and the same thing happened to her over in her camp and um it was uh this was a little different vibe the second one but um it was meaningful and they were just you know I mean, they're, they're in their early 20s mid 20s and they probably have suffered some kind of loss along the way hopefully not tremendous loss but some of them definitely have and they were um just at a loss like deb was saying about how to deal with thinking in their heads about how how am I going to deal with a patient? Feelings. Mm -hmm. Feelings. And I think that's what you were kind of referring to, Amy, a little bit in in your initial comment maybe, right?
3: Yeah, just kind of, um, I think, I'm not sure if this applies to all students, but for me in particular, it gets kind of tough when I walk into hospitals. I feel like I have to numb my feelings a little bit because I'm scared. I'm genuinely scared that if I... Feel everything for my patients, like all their bad news, and you know, allow myself to feel. Then I would be overwhelmed. It would be this tsunami of just conflicting feelings and not knowing how to process it. So I numb myself a little bit before I go in each time, and Mm -hmm. you know. And I think I'm not sure if you've had the same experience as Cooper, but um, sometimes you hear other people joke about the situation, and I. And I personally am not a fan of making light of any one situation, but I wonder if it just stems from the fact that medical school and our training really doesn't prepare us to deal with all of this because at the end of the day, you know, even if you try to dismiss the patient as just another number on your chart, I think there's a part of you that acknowledges that this is someone's mom or dad, someone's son or daughter, aunt or uncle. This is someone who has lived this life, and now they're gone, and you don't really know how to process it.
1: Yeah, and there's a name for what you described earlier. It's called fallacy of the opposite alternative. So imagine a couple comes in. I'm going to take it back to therapy, but it's easier to understand this way. A couple comes in, and I'll just be sort of gender stereotypical here for a second, but the man says, "Um, I can't tell my wife what she wants to hear. And the wife said, I just want you to say you love me. I want you to say, you know, nice things to me. And you say to him, why can't you? And and his feeling is that if he lets those doors open, he'll become a gelatinous mass on the floor and not be able to function. You know that's not true. I know that's not true. But the feeling is that that's true. And unless you have someone experienced in dealing with that and can kind of contain that space and – let you feel safe and know you'll land in the middle because I know if you allow feelings in you won't become a dysfunctional gelatinous mass in the hospital but you will need to talk about it with someone who knows how to process that stuff and my guess is the supervisors are still kind of too new I mean we're talking just about 30 years that this is become too new that they didn't have supervisors that they can't supervise you yet and they're I've seen some psychologists being used as consultants for certain things with doctors, but not with the students. I mean, maybe somewhere, but I'm not seeing it. And I, obviously, am biased a bit towards psychology, but I, I think that that would be really, really helpful.
4: One, one of the students at the uh, at the seminar we had last week, um, young lady, was raised her hand, toward right at the end, and she was worried about feeling. Um, about having feelings and, and uh, emoting in front of a of a patient that was she had to give some bad news to her or whatever, and she just thought that would be unprofessional and she's you know and and, and wrong. And uh, Deborah um, assured her that it would you know being being emotional is you know you don't you don't break down you know when someone has a hangnail, but you know something is uh, you know something's uh, real, and you and you're being real that that person will remember. That whatever whatever it is, they're going to remember that moment, that big moment, for the rest of their lives. I mean, they're, and, and anybody else around them, family People members or whatever.
1: definitely remember those big moments, as you would. You mm-hmm. would. You yeah. remember the moments when you're told bad news. And as long as someone doesn't – and when I meant break down, I meant, like, say something. Like, I don't know what to do. and like, But it's totally, totally fine, as far as I can tell, to cry with patients. Or if they ask you to pray – if they ask you to pray with them or, or something that they need um, – I just can't see, I can't see the problem with it. Maybe you can't, I mean, I just don't see.
4: Do the, the, the teacher, do you have anything in school that comes up where this
0: is talked about with by, by professors or doctors?
1: Maybe it is more now.
0: Huh? I mean, we definitely have our own, um, we have the Breaking Bad News classes. We have various ways that we kind of are talked to about this. And then the thing is, you know, every doctor will kind of bring their own philosophy and Thing to it so some are more um you know it's not professional to emote in front of a patient or you emote in controlled ways and others are kind of more forthcoming with that but i think uh, we're kind of taught more along the business side of medicine as opposed to the emotional side of it and i think that's where a lot of it comes from is that um there isn't a lot of experience with with that that connection because i think i think uh, when people come and teach us they kind of assume we're going to be human, like the, the people who don't mind us emoting assume you're going to be human no matter what. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is that if you don't see people do it, then you never really, you never step into those roles. Um, I, I think, I think, um, well, is actually what you're talking about is part of the reason why I created this podcast in the first place was that um, I felt that a lot of people, we, we kind of kept talking about this topic of burnout among you know, healthcare professionals and how people were feeling emotionally exhausted by their jobs and couldn't even stand the idea of going to work another day. And it's you know, in a in a profession where you deal solely with people and very meaningful things, it kind of strikes me as odd that that would be a thing. Um, but I think a lot of the stuff I was reading kind of talked about emotions as a a quantifiable amount that you could expend over the day and emoting with a patient would be just too much too far um so people stopped they worked less they picked more lifestyle professions where they had weekends off and they could spend with their family which are all great things but i think the point of this podcast was to illuminate those stories that we encounter every day and talk about them and step further into those feelings because i think the exhaustion actually comes from more so from avoiding these things as opposed to um that's a great point.
1: Well, if you, you, you said something earlier, Amy, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was about basically, I don't know what you said, here's what I heard, that every time you dealt with somebody who was having a crisis and a big emotion, you kind of shut a piece of yourself down. Yeah. And, and if, I, if you turn all those lights off, you're, you've burned out. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, that to me that's you know you, yeah you, it's a perfect analogy so yeah. basically right so to me mm-hmm. burnout is directly related to this um inane concept of not having emotions uh, i'm not talking unprofessional emotions <laughs> i'm not saying everything to a patient um but being able to deal with how you're feeling about what you're doing is really important I also think the medicine of the, sorry, the business of medicine makes it really difficult. If you have to see a certain number of people in a certain amount of time, that's going to make it very difficult. So I understand the lifestyle choices because if you can't spend the time you need um, with a person or time to process in between patients what you need to like take a breath, take a walk, someone just lost a baby, you know, mm-hmm. something huge, mm-hmm. and you need a minute, um, or you need more of a minute because something just happened to you. Mm-hmm. Right. So um I think if you don't do those things, you're headed right for trouble. You're headed right for alcoholism, burnout, four divorces, I don't know, something where um I mean, what happens when you cut off a whole section of humanity? So thoughts, feelings, behavior, spirituality. Let's just cut one out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how that I don't know what we expect. Mm-hmm. Victorians had weird sexual repression stuff. You know, it's like, we refuse to be sexual. Yeah, right, that's not going to work. So I don't know. Usually when you repress something, it comes out in very strange ways. And don't you think it's a really antiquated thing? that's left over from, you know, Mm -hmm. all male elite kind of doctors who didn't really deal with the body kind of
3: concept. Not women. I think that that like that kind of vibe is still there um I I mean I can't pinpoint to an exact moment but I do remember times where you know I would spend extra time with the patient and and like try to communicate everything like be there and sit there with them and you know like be 100% me in the attraction but there's this very like culture where it's Oh, you—that was too much. Or like, come on, we have to take care of things. You know, the business side really does take over. um And in the future, I—I I hope to not be like that. I, I sincerely hope that I don't lose myself to the system. And it's just this really hard, like, civil war in my mind, where like I want to be this person, but yet if I become this person and I try to exist in the system, it'll most likely crush me. Is where like i'm at right now that's why i I kind of described it as like this tsunami of feelings this like just disaster waiting to happen because i don't i don't really see it like being like us to sit there and actually spend time you know just because everything's like gotta go gotta go gotta go gotta do it now
1: i I just gotta say this because i had this vision of it the the tsunami of feelings isn't what's going to crush you. Have you ever swam in the waves?
3: I'm actually terrified of the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen anyone swim in the waves?
1: <laughs> yes, as I sit in the car far away from the So east. this is not the best metaphor for you. Um, running from the tsunami in your mind, that the crushing is that opposite alternative. Really, there it's waves coming. And if you, if you jump through them, They're just fine. You come out the other side, you come out the other side, you get used to those, you get used to those wafts of emotion. And I think that most doctors aren't assholes when they say, when they do something gruff or don't hold your hand when they give you bad news. I think they're oversensitive. It's why they went into medicine. They want to alleviate something and nobody gave them the tools to do it. All right. So if I can't cure you, if it's not within my realm to fix this, I don't know what to do, and I think that's got to be heartbreaking, and um, no one is telling you that your presence is powerful and healing and it's enough, Hmm. it's not the tsunami, and if you don't like face it and go into it, not metaphorically, (laughs) I just don't need you to go in the ocean. You're terrified. Go to Big Surf with the fake ocean. Um, uh, but if you don't, I think that, um, I, I think you just drown. And, I, and I, it took me such a long time. I didn't want to do therapy when I was younger in graduate school. I wanted to do assessment because not enough was known in therapy. It was this big pit of, this abyss of um, <laughs> the unknown until I started having dreams about the tsunami literal dreams. I have steps in a diary I wrote about this tsunami coming to crush us all. Um, And then I started doing more and more, and I was working with teenage boys who had had brain injuries were never going to be the same, never going to be close to okay. Um, And one day I was walking in the hallway of the hospital, and I felt like I couldn't pick my feet up. I felt like something really bad was happening. Like physically to me, I couldn't walk. Um, I was just feeling overwhelmed by the amount of suffering that was happening in the world, um, everywhere. And I, you know, I got home and laid down, and I finally started having dreams of being able to swim through the wave, through the wave, through the wave. And I started talking a whole lot less and. Going into the rooms with the families and the people and just being there. Just being there. Just going, I can't fix this. I can't fix anything about this. You're not going to adjust to your injury. What a bunch of bonk. You know, and it's like, <laughs> so I just, I would sit there. And um, they said amazing things to me. Um, and things really shifted. But I was probably just a l- l- year age, mm-hmm. not before.
4: I know that you've expressed an interest in psychiatry, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. And uh we have a dear <laughs> friend not with us anymore. But he he uh he, he talked to me about um coming out of medical school. He he became a psychiatrist. Uh but he worked at the state hospital here, um, back in Michigan and then out here and talked about how he would have you know, only have these little little fifteen minute segments Man, or medical
1: management medical
4: management thing and you, you know all about this stuff and the managed care stuff. And this was in, in a state setting. And then he worked at a hospital. And he felt um, that tsunami uh, coming at him because he couldn't help anybody. And he was, he was feeling um, just.
1: Uh, nervous. He got really, really anxious. Yeah,
4: anxious, anxious is a word. Um, and then there's a word called anime, anomie, A N O M I E, which is, I think it's lack of standards to follow. It's, I think it's a definition. If I'm wrong. Edit it. <laughs> 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 it's a good word. I haven't popped into my head for years, but he 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 used that word with me, and that's how I learned the, learned the word. It was many many years ago, and he had to go through all kinds of self evaluation, leaving leaving doctoring altogether. He didn't, uh, um, but he had all kinds of soul searching to do, and took time a little time off from everything, and uh, I guess he eventually figured some stuff out, but he he, uh, he, he couldn't do that med- the managed care, that model at all. He, by the time he was in his early 30s, he was done with it. With his in own the,
1: practice, yeah. His own practice his own and way.
4: struggled, and he just went that direction. So, I mean, I don't know if psychiatry is any different than um, any other specialty, but uh, it just struck me when hearing you talk in other conversations about your interest that that's mm-hmm. buyer beware, <laughs> so <laughs> to speak. Well,
1: we th- I mean, we think but like we need doctors we need good doctors i mean it's like our best and brightest young doctors and then but um i feel like we're not supporting them in a way that they need in a way that they won't get broken in their early 30s and have
4: to who's have to we do you talk about fellow uh, people that pe- professionals you know people who
1: what? are supposed to you know i don't do it anymore but like um you know when I was teaching and they would have me come over and I'm supposed to be able to explain this to them or yeah. something about um, you know self-care or diversity or context or some way of of relating and I um, it was pretty it got particular it got particularly difficult mm-hmm. um, mostly because a lot of the um, medical faculty particularly the dental faculty were so against it yeah. <laughs> but so it was with the you going into psychiatry so I went back to my library. I've given away a whole bunch of my um, psychological assessment books, which isn't something you're going to be into. But I went through and I'm like, I got to give her a book because I read the UC Davis program of like the training program. Like they only do motivational interview in the first two years. They don't do any theory. Go. She's going to get really burned out. She's going to get upset. What am I going to give her? And my first run through the books, I had like 42 books on this pile. And I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen. So I started putting the books back and putting the books back and trying to pick out and there was these really interesting books one's called Crazy and it was it's a psychologist's own road to how he dealt with stuff and then there's just I got down to two over there and I was like trying to to figure it out like if I could talk to someone who's just going into psychiatry what would I want them to know? You know, what would I want them to know? And it's like um In the end, it's you in a room or in some kind of space with that person or those people. That's it. You, your background, your context, everything you know, everything you bring to it, your knowledge, your experience, and theirs and the dynamic between the two, and that's all all that happens. That's
4: the magic right there. Simple, huh? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, It's such a... Yes and no. Yeah. I know you're making a joke, but... No, it's a half joke.
4: Know, yes it, and it no. Is, it is, you know, it's, it, having been in journalism for 30 years, mm-hmm. it, it's and uh, in, in interviews, thousands of interviews, literally, that's the magic thing right there. And it's also not to fill in with, with the uncomfortable silences with jibber-jabber and, and all those... All those things you learn along the way and um, and just to sit in the room is uh, It took me a long time to learn that, I mean, especially in difficult situations, going to interview the family of a murder victim and you know who don't want to talk to you necessarily um, or definitely don't want to talk to you and just to what do you do? What do you go in there? Well, you just bring all your life experience to it and put yourself if you can at all in their shoes and realize um, you know. Don't bullshit here. <laughs> you know, basically, just be vi- just be real. As goofy or, you know, not inappropriate because I, I don't think I I think I,
1: well, because you're not, and neither is she.
4: Yeah, that's no, not going to happen. That's not going to happen. But <laughs> you
1: might say something stupid, but you're not of gonna. course,
4: by the minute. <laughs> yeah.
1: People are very forgiving. Yeah, if you're um, if they think that you're sincere.
3: I think, uh, you know, like um, this kind of reminds me of what was said in the monologue earlier where in many ways um, health medicine was there for you, like the doctors or the healthcare workers were there for you, but there are also times where they kind of failed you or let you down. And I just wanted to ask from both of your perspectives, like where do you, in one, like in what ways did they let you down? And two, how, what are your thoughts of like how that came to be?
1: You want me to go? Yeah. Um, so if people, I'm going to try to be general because obviously I don't want to single some specific thing out. Um, I think I had some trouble because it was a rare illness and hard to diagnose um but I do think that initially when I came in with back pain and these other problems that I was even though I was I'm not a complainer I don't complain I I had the same primary care doctor for many years and I had not been a complainer that I was dismissed because a middle-aged woman with back pain who can't sleep and you know and I think I was seen as little histrionic if not exaggerating and kind of not really listened to initially um um and then when paul really pushed me to see a doctor who found out what was really going on he didn't really know who to send us to so he sent us to somebody who was scary like really actually quite terrifying and scary and um we worked that out and so it well, was kind of like this roller coaster of finding somebody comforting and trustworthy and then finding somebody, um, which we did, which we did. And then finding somebody like almost cruel. It was, it's a, it's an interesting, I don't mind people making mistakes. And I had a doctor who I'm quite convinced did, but was sincere, lovely, tried hard, cared, made a mistake. Not a problem with that. I, I just don't. I don't think Paul does either. No. We had someone who made a similar mistake. Who was cruel, awful, mean, disparaging. Then I'm mad. And it's the same mistake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, don't both be an asshole and have a bad outcome. Would be my suggestion. I'm one or the other. Um, but
4: uh, yeah, and good. the first, and the going back to the first, the first uh, doc. Who did not do any surgeries um we ran well but did some due diligence on the guy and also uh started questioning about had he ever done this very delicate rare surgery before which he hadn't and um it it came to me after uh counseling with other doctors who were friends of mine and giving him giving him the scoop uh and i called i called this guy up who was chomping at the bit to do this, this surgery and i said are you just trying to do your great surgery now is he trying to you know because basically that's what he he was uh, the arrogance level was just off the charts and and he he said well if you don't if, if you don't if you don't trust in me then you know you shouldn't have me as your surgeon I said I absolutely don't trust in you not even a, not even for a second you're at you know the way you're and it wasn't just it was uh, not it, he was screaming at you he yeah. screamed at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good luck, Mr. Or Doctor, Mr. <laughs> Doctor. And uh, anyway, uh, so that, yeah, Deb, Deb's experience, uh, Deb's perception of the experience is very similar to mine. And, uh, and
1: i got to throw one thing in. Yeah, throw it in. It's just a teeniest bit off, but it's still on the mark. So one of my jobs when I was in a professor and administrator in a psychology program was to decide... <laughs> who, who continues on? I know for a fact, especially that Yahoo. People knew a long time ago that that Yahoo mm-hmm. was going to cause a really big problem. We found out later he'd been caught. Co- he'd caused many, many problems around town. So people knew, and nobody had the cojones, or the institution didn't allow it to weed that out. You know, it's like you can't have it both ways. And um, that medicine has become medical studies, especially in Arizona, where we only had University of Arizona and nothing in Phoenix with three million people, became a situation where they didn't want anybody to fail at some of the institutions I was aligned with and I know and I'm sure you know because the students always knew first there's someone there's someone in your class that you know is going to be a problem and you know the faculty knows that someone's going to be a problem and they're going out there and they're not the ones I can talk to I can talk to you because you want to hear it and even if it's the wrong book or whatever I mean hope you'll call in a year and go what about x and I'll get you something you know what I mean and you can and people can call me up I have students call me up and go I think I made a horrible mistake I'm like, okay, let's figure this out. Do you know what I mean? Because they care, they're not who I need to be talking to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it worries me that some of these people who may very well be good surgeons in certain ways and the other guy who was disparaging and awful apparently was a really good surgeon. Um, they knew mm-hmm. people knew, yeah, and now it's way too late to it's, really a, tr- do it's a tricky spot for everybody i don't concerned. mean to bra- yeah. i mean because you asked How, what do i want and what i want would be not to have ever gotten to that point i mean because as a patient you're vulnerable you're in crisis you've just been told this horrible life-changing thing um you're not at your best like you would think like between paul and i and our friends we should be able to research anything figure anything out not when you're crying at night too do you know, what, I mean, it, we did. We worked it out because we have good friends and yeah. people to help us, but it's not the best time to have some surgeon screaming at you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yep. I really would like to still, if I was in a room with them, I would never do this, but I just have this feeling because I'm really a pacifist. I'd really like to slap him hard in the face, though. You know, it's like, wake the fuck up what are you doing to people? He wanted to do a surgery he's never done with people on his quote-unquote team that he've never worked with before. He sent me sent me around to these people, I'm like, what am I doing? And one of my best friends that I grew up with is an ER doctor in Tucson, and we, we had been talking. He goes, Deb, Deb. I go, what? He goes, take a breath. I go, what? He goes, you're not going to be in surgery with some Yahoo from Scottsdale. Don't <laughs> worry about it. We're going to do something else. And I'm like, oh, oh, that's right. I can... I get to decide. He's like, "Yeah, take a breath." I'm like, "Oh, thank God!" And so we got the heck out of that. He lied to us too about where we could go and who was. Yeah. He led us to believe he was the only person, which wasn't even close. He vision. was about
4: five years before, but if if, if <laughs> it, before this movie came out, but if this movie had come out, he would have said, "Get out." <laughs>
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> have you seen the movie? Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's it's a classic. Great movie. You know,
1: it's hard. It's hard being. It's yeah. hard being the patient, even if you uh, know things.
4: Well, it's interesting too because uh, in Deborah's case, you have a, a thing which uh, my primary care, my primary care doctor, who's an extremely astute, great doctor, had never heard of. sacral mm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I hadn't heard of it when she told me it was a cordoma. I thought, oh, this is good. You know, this is good news. You know, because finally figured it out, and it, and. Uh, <laughs> quite the opposite but you know i mean you come in with a breast cancer diagnosis and everybody knows you know there's 180,000, i think diagnosed in the states every year something like that that you you'll have uh you know uh, the the
1: The statistics are clear the specifics
4: are clear the 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 treatment Mm -hmm. is going to be uh, pretty much the same depending on how how late in the game it is or whatever and but with this chordoma thing it was like Totally, adult, there hadn't even been the textbook written about it. There have been articles, obviously, medical journal articles. Now there's a huge textbook came out a few years after her diagnosis in 2012, 2013. Um, but, uh, you know, it was a, a jarring situation, and uh, we were lucky enough to find a doctor at, at Barrow um, who had done cordoma surgeries before. And um, that was at the last minute. We, were, we had a ticket to Houston. MD Anderson there and changed it at the last minute for various reasons. And, uh, but it's.
1: It had gotten so bad that after the first meeting with him, he was really lovely. He was really, really lovely. He asked if we had any more questions. Isn't that when I said, I just want to crawl up into your lap? I was so like relieved. And he goes, okay. And you went, okay. And we walked out and I said, did I just tell him I wanted to crawl into his lap? (laughs) Yeah. And Paul goes, it's all fine. It's fine. He understood what you meant. <laughs> he yeah, understood well, what you meant.
4: And he's a, he's a big he's a big guy. So he's just <laughs> well, kind of involved. I was
1: so relieved that someone had knew what it was, yeah. had done some before, yeah. and wasn't all weird about saying you should get a second opinion. We'll do this, you know, like norm- normalcy had right. returned. But I guess um the roller coaster ride is exhausting and terrifying and um I don't think those people should be practicing. I don't think they should be practicing. I don't know what to do about that. Um, I don't think there's that many. And I think that because I was so far out on the weird scope of things, I probably hit more than my share. Um, but it was too many.
4: Yeah, one is too many, but you, you know, there was there was more than one. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I don't, I don't know.
4: And you can tell from talking to Deborah, she's very difficult to, uh, to communicate <laughs> with. And she's
1: well, I don't want to undermine the extraordinary people that we. Oh mentioned. no, I know. Made, I mean, extraordinary the people who yeah. um, went way out of their way for us, and you know,
4: nurses. Uh, oh my
1: gosh! Uh, fantastic, some really fantastic people. that yeah. nurse practitioner pain. The pain person, uh, oh, my God, just these amazing people would, like, call you at home and be excited because you peed by yourself the first time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Stuff like just really who cared and really were trying and really were communicating and listening. And um, many more of those people by number than not. But unfortunately, the other people were in charge of things.
4: Did that it's answer difficult. your question? Maybe. <laughs> 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 no, this is great. <laughs> I didn't even uh. know. It. I don't remember what you asked, actually. But oh, but
1: <laughs> if it's a business, if medicine is a business, which everything in the US is, mm-hmm. then you never get rid of those people. Yeah, I guess that's my I, that's my fear, I suppose.
3: Well, in our training too, um, I talked a lot about this in our my courses with um, one of the doctors at our school, and it's just. Good scores are valued a lot. Mm-hmm. And presence, sincerity, mm-hmm. um, all these things that you can't really put a grade on it kind of gets pushed aside. No, but you
1: can grade them. <laughs> I know. And I wrote a paper on how to grade <laughs> them. And I did, and how to make it part of the, the actual curriculum. grade mm-hmm. and the curriculum and how you can score it. And oh, ugh.
4: the camp. What was, what was the CAMP? No, super? but
1: that was, there was a piece of that, the specifics on They talked to you about self-assessment mm-hmm. as an important piece in all professions. But how do you measure self-assessment? Well, I came up with a way to measure accuracy in self-assessment. The ability to have insight, the ability to accurately self-assess is, the, is a key to um, professionalism. It's actually a key to not having a personality disorder. Mm -hmm. right, which is what you're trying to not have in professions that are going to have a lot of power over people and have licenses by the state. Um, And I did come up with a way to do that. The problem that I had was the institutions Mm -hmm. didn't want to do it. It was somewhat labor-intensive. It's new. Um, And it had a score, which is Americans love scores and it's part of the whole um, curriculum, like other numbers, because we love numbers. Uh, but it meant that you were going to find people who, based on their um, personality and deportment and ability to have not have insight, were going to be dismissed. And they really didn't like that. That was a kind of a new thing. It was something they weren't comfortable with. Um, they also weren't comfortable with people making major mistakes on clinical rotations. I mean, let's let them do it again. Um, I'm not, I just, I'm not Sure.
0: I think there's something to that because th- uh, this was kind of, like I think, a thread of a lot of things that you're talking about is uh, for medicine. But a lot of these health professionals, right, we're talking about how um, doctors like rely on their legitimacy, like as a group, like we're known as doctors. Yeah. We're not people. We're right. like a group. So like if you um, but I think a lot of people confuse legitimacy with not being wrong or not being able to be wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think like I, we have a problem with that as a huge group group and profession but then you also see the doctors that you you encounter along the way the surgeon who who can't be wrong he's never done the surgery before but he's got it right you know mm-hmm. um or if they make a mistake it couldn't have been me and then i think a lot of it allows so then we, we kind of end up um putting patients into that uh then the one who needs something the one who is being told what to do and mm-hmm. and put you into that role where you can't shop around for a different surgeon. You yeah. can't go see who you want to. And um, it, it just astounds me, especially when I'm able to hear your story. I've been talking to you today. You're incredibly well spoken. You're an educated American who speaks English as their first language. And even still, you find people you can't get through to, you know? <laughs> Good point.
1: Yeah. Well, I think if you don't value emotions mm-hmm. and you just want people to be smart, mm-hmm. and that's all you need because guys aren't going to be expected to emote anyway right Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter who they are as people then you get total assholes Mm -hmm. (laughs) right it's like a recipe for an asshole each class (laughs) (laughs) so i think i think it all is related i think it all comes back like if i was doing a class on delivering bad news and it was graded just hypothetically (laughs) um and someone really 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 couldn't do it They may be brilliant, they may do great on everything else, but if they failed that because they're mean or short or um, us-them, you know, uh, abuse of power in some way, um, then I have a way to get rid of them. Um, But if it's just a sideshow, we're going to put these psychology pieces in because there's some good research on it, we're less likely to get sued, it's faster business. Do you know what I mean? Then, it, if it's not really important, if it's not really, really, really important who doctors are and who healthcare professionals are, um, then I think we've lost something. I really do think we've lost something. It's funny because Eastern medicine's the opposite. Like, they're not good in a crisis, Western medicine's good in a crisis, um, but they're better with chronic things. At least the understanding that. It has a lot to do with who the person is and who that relationship with the doctor is. And um, there's a writer named Jerome Frank that I think you would like who talked about um, in each culture how the person who's like the healer is decided by the group is the healer. People believe the healer can heal, whatever the culture is. And so that person is imbued with this power, Um, whether it's a state license or the whole village saying that's the guy. Um, And abuse of that power is really a dangerous, dangerous thing because it's believed that that person can do these things. And that threat is throughout history and throughout cultures. And um,
4: As a quick aside, that's what's been so devastating with the COVID-19 up at the Navajo Reservation because these these people... All the elders are dying. The elders are dying of COVID to an extreme Mm -hmm. and uh, leaving what she's describing, the healers, as... They're gone. It's a vacuum. It doesn't get either I know. replaced.
1: Because they have an oral tradition, especially the Hopi, have an oral tradition of teaching healing. Mm-hmm. So it's not a grade on something. <laughs> you know, yeah. they Actually, we believe that who the person is matters. And the oral tradition when the elders are dead and the shamans are dead, that tradition mm-hmm. ends.
4: By the way, how are you feeling on a scale of 1 to 10 right now? <laughs>
1: My pain level one to ten. Paul goes, She's just gonna say four again. She doesn't know what to say. She used to say
4: three, and I know she's like, In in, for me, it would be intractable pain. I'd be like, What's more than ten? It's true. Back in, I said, No, you know, well,
1: unfortunately, psychologists (laughs) invented that one to ten scale, so we're stuck with it. I have to say,
0: Are the smiley faces any better? We did not
1: (laughs) intend for it to get used in that way, though. the likert scale is not supposed to be comp
4: that's okay that's right i'm <laughs> not holding you personally responsible well, for the sins you of can't your
1: hold me responsible for anything now because i'm no oh, longer oh that's, that's true i'm an artist now i'm no longer doing any that's true any work yeah except for phone calls when
4: yeah she gets phone calls literally weekly from students who now, now are mm-hmm. full scale practices running Things. you know huge institutional that's so cool places. Yeah, so and cool. and they talk to her, you know, she, they're, they're peers, but they still talk to her with this, you know, <laughs> this, this glowing Roberts. deference, which is.
1: I do that with some of my supervisors. I don't think that ever goes away.
4: It's, it's, it's cool. <laughs> you, know you know that. I'm, I'm not complaining about it at all. It's just, it's just interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. You got to believe that there's somebody back there that still has answers for you. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think you want to think I'm out here <laughs> and waving in the wind and there's no one out there with answers for you. Yeah.
4: Well, usually they feel better by the time they hang up. They, they feel better about stuff. You told me that anyway. I hope so. Yeah. So.
3: Okay. And what th- else? Uh, I think you mentioned your artwork earlier, Deborah. Ah. I get to see it here, and um, for the listeners, Deborah uh, Deborah's house is filled with all of her amazing artwork as well as her friends' artwork. So I was wondering if you can describe it to the listeners real quick.
1: Well, my favorite stuff was the stuff I did last and it was, um, car hoods and car parts of cars, the steel parts of cars. Um, I had them bent and welded into panels that look similar to a canvas, only they're a little bit heavier and the color on them is the color of a car. Um, and then I made, uh, ceramic tiles and, and, other types of things, um, Hood ornaments. I did uh, Jaguars and Mustangs and things that are hood ornaments on little cars and pieces. Um, I got to do one big show at the Ice House downtown a couple of years ago with a friend of mine named Larry McLaughlin and his sculptures. Um, what was special to me about these was I wasn't copying anybody. I hadn't seen anything like this before. Uh, they were very much my own creation and I loved them and they took a long time and They're very much mine, and we had a little book made because we had a really good photographer (laughs) take pictures of them, and so I had them put into a small book. Uh, It was so... I was bowled over getting to do the show downtown. I invited everybody I knew, and...
4: It was incredible.
1: It was so much fun. It was... I had done painting shows or group shows and things before, but this was really important to me, and I really had a wonderful time. And I wish I could be making more but I can't I can't lift these now really or um, even if I had help it wouldn't really work out so it's 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 bittersweet sometimes looking at them
4: yeah we found one we were taking walk we used to take long walks and I saw a car hood right down the street on this street in, in a in the uh, place where they bring up so the, uh, the, the quarterly pickup <laughs> for bulk and so I to, you know there was I was out to be thrown out he so walked it all the way I, home I it's it the home. dark
1: blue edges on that top one up there yeah
4: it doesn't look like a car hood. It's hard to imagine, but it was a car hood. <laughs> and then a guy, an iron worker, metal worker, uh, turned him into, mm-hmm. quote, canvas and,
1: and kept the middle for a, yeah, kept the a middle. project yeah. he was doing.
0: Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah,
1: And so yeah, I have all my friends' art here, and everything is as artistic as possible, and I paint right on the walls. And
4: um, Yeah, behind you, Amy, is a thing. It uh, says, music, rocks, art, rules. <laughs> those and, are and, us and then there's that uh there's a uh i would call it a mural on th- mm-hmm. with, the, with the leaves on it and those are leaves the, the two leaves, the two big leaves uh at uh at seven o'clock and, and noon those those come from my my front yard of uh my house i grew up in in new haven connecticut It was a japanese maple tree that my my mo- my now late mother uh cultivated from when it was when they were babies and so she she brought them out here deb did and somehow attached him to the, the wall. walls
1: and little picture of his mom and a receipt from his favorite restaurant and he, Paul went away for a weekend and he came back and I'm painting all over the walls or doing something and it got to a point where he would come home and he would go huh okay and he would just walk along because I had done some major thing in the house and yeah. uh, it was really
4: we'll it, show we'll show Cooper on the on the way out there's a uh in the in the uh, the room there Deb and her beloved niece who's uh, now, a medical doctor at the University of Cincinnati. I think she's in her second year or third year, second year uh, residency. And they did this uh, sculpture on the wall, which is indescribable, which uh, I'll show you. Which I came back to that one and went, That's pretty oh cool. Oh my God, I guess I'm going to have to live here for a while. <laughs> <laughs> we were going
1: to take it off, and um, yeah. she goes, No, it's my favorite thing. Uh, I'm yeah. like, Okay, we'll leave it yeah.
4: up. Uh. And I have zero art. Ability, really. That's completely untrue. Well, I, have mu- yeah. I, have mu- I love art and I love music and play a little bit, but uh, uh, you know, because I mean,
1: writing and uh, and and writing music and writing words have no creative.
4: No, no, no. It's a logical, yeah, logical practice.
1: Yeah, we can all stare at a blank piece of paper and create something.
4: <laughs> oh, good piece of writing advice, which is if you can't, <laughs> if, you, if, if, if you if you can't, if you when you have trouble starting something. Don't start at the beginning. Start in the middle, or the end. Just write something. Hmm. It's it's a, it's a, the best piece of advice I've taught it taught writing at, U, at ASU, and so apparently that's the best piece of advice they ever gave them, ever anyone.
1: Are you telling them to start writing? Yeah,
4: they, yeah, I mean, I mean, they're 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 bright and they're they're thinking about stuff. And I wish mm-hmm. you, I mean, I don't know if you did keep a journal at all. You probably didn't have time to keep journals during medical school, a little bit here and there. But I mean, just. You know, it would be so fascinating to have you know one page per day for the entirety of it because you wouldn't remember. You probably don't remember. You're gonna forget uh, all kinds of stuff. It would be cool later on to look back and go, "That was me," <laughs> you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I wish I'd done that myself. So I'm. I'm, I'm what I did. And start
1: do. in the middle. So start when you're yeah. <laughs> around 40 and write <laughs> backwards into now. Yeah. Don't write the beginning.
4: Oh, it's, when you have deadline and writing stories, it's just, you know, which I did for years. It would be, you look at the blank page and you have all the material, but you can't get it started. Just start it it's still somewhere, write, put in something, and then it, all of a sudden it comes together. So
1: speaking on writing and art. So for a little while, I was writing art blogs of most of my friends and the people I thought were terrific. And um, I had like 300 words or whatever. And I would, I would go out to their studio and I would talk to these people and I would look at their stuff and I read their stuff and I would bleed over these 300 words. Paul would look at it, make it a 900 million times better in about five minutes. And then I would turn it in. It was very annoying. Incredibly annoying. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> He'd been doing it for a while, though. Uh, I think he probably finds my you, you, philosophizing you, annoying on occasion.
4: Sure, but you know, you, you find my whatever annoying on occasions too. But we've stayed together for a long time, too thick and thin. Yeah, twenty years and never had a fight. <laughs> never had. A, ne- never had a cross word. <laughs> no we get along great and and she's she just for the just for the the tape the the quote tape she's uh, i'm very very lucky i mean she's made my life like so much better than uh, i I had a good life before and uh you know but i didn't know a lot of stuff and she's taught me an awful lot about a lot of things i know i'm by far the better person for it and um so that you know gets me up to about a three Mm -hmm. on a scale of one to ten just kidding but no it's it's. uh it's, it's, it's been a great run and it's really sad. I mean, if, you know, I mean, on on paper, she's going to go before me. Any, any of us can go in a, in a, in a flash as we all know, but, um, you know, and it's, it's a, it's, it's a pity for, uh, for mankind, humankind that, uh, that this has happened, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the luck of the Irish, so to speak. And, uh,
1: well, some of it, some I mean, of some it, of it a l- quite a bit of it didn't have to happen. Yeah, yeah. and that's that's, that's for the next podcast.
4: That's for another yeah. podcast. But it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, you know the the tale is uh, is uh, pretty dark. It's got bright moments, but it's uh, dark.
1: It's pretty dark. It's pretty dark that um, it just wouldn't have taken that much attention on the part of just somebody, yeah, to have everything go a completely different way. That's that's frustrating. For
4: and me. that's not to say it's it's a, it's a tough disease, and so there's a, yeah. there's no question about it. But and things had to fall into place in a in a in a um, in a better way than they did, and they could have, and it could have, and uh, and they
1: didn't. And yeah. I I have to I have to remind myself a lot that <laughs> it's an argument with myself that what I did was enough, what I've done is enough, and that's difficult.
4: Oh, same with me. And same that. Thing. It's an th- easy thing to beat yourself up on, with, uh, you know. Why didn't I? Why didn't I? A, B, C. You know. I mean, I, I, we're both very proactive and can be very, you know, I would say, aggressive, but uh, very f- f- assertive. Uh, you know, when it comes to others, and when it comes to ourselves. I mean, I. Uh,
1: I mean. You mean busy or assert? No, ass- so?
4: no. I mean, there's stuff that you know. I mean, could have. You know, if I had looked, gone to the. Medical library and gotten better materials about the about this and had better questions to ask.
1: Oh, I wasn't uh, even talking about a, what are you talking the about illness. I was talking about what I did enough in my life. Like I oh, did you're enough. About the
4: big thing. Oh
1: yeah. Oh no. Oh no. It's really easy to blame yourself about that. Or yeah. I blame myself. Our friends blame themselves. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. There's that's a, That's a.
4: Oh, you're really global. Yeah. Oh.
1: I was going like, did I do enough in my lifetime? Because I can't do it now. It's difficult when somebody calls from a <laughs> university. Well, How are you doing? Wish you were here. Yeah. I wish I was there too. Yeah,
4: I know. Yeah. Yeah. On that upbeat note. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> on that upbeat note,
1: a yeah. man goes into a doctor's office with a frog on his head. Yeah, and The doctor says, "They know this. How can I help you? And the frog said, get this guy off my ass. You've heard this joke. You know Never that one? That. Never no. heard that oh, one. sorry. <laughs> I I it. <laughs> wow. I they don't it. know all my doctor jokes? I don't know. I'm trying to think if there's anything else in my monologue that we didn't talk about that meant anything other than compassion, courage, and discernment. I kind of
0: wanted to ask you, um, because in kind of relation to um, your... Uh, monologue when you're talking about that sentence for yourself you had your diagnosis is one of part, like parts of your sentence and um i kind of wanted to ask you how you conceptualize yourself with the diagnosis is that because in medicine we have it as such a uh, a binary thing you don't or you do have the, a diagnosis mm-hmm. it's it's and you have it it's a part of you mm-hmm. um i guess do you see it like that is it What is it to you? That's an
1: interesting question. I I remember for a while at the beginning, they couldn't tell me whether (laughs) chordoma, by definition, was malignant or benign. And I'm like, you know, that's not one or the other. And they're like, not exactly. I'm like, oh, great. You know, it's like nothing, everything's on a continuum. You know, it just seems like everything's on a continuum. So at some point, I guess the disease will win one way or another. And that's that end of the continuum, I suppose. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's like I had it before I knew I had it. Um, I definitely have it. It's a total, total pain. I don't like it. Um, I feel like I'm getting kind of chopped up a piece at a time. I'm certainly losing parts of myself physically one piece at a time, which makes it me unable to do the things I otherwise identified myself with, which is weird, you know? Mm-hmm. like I'm a non-practicing psychologist I am not a professor I read incessantly I can't stop I I can't stop I'm not joking like I read about everything all the time um, all night long um, it's still so much of how I identify myself as some kind of academic um, and it's unnecessary I'll be reading something about I don't know the, the reconstruction after the civil war because I was doing that for a few months and I realized I will not use this information for anything. And so I had to say to myself, do you love reading this? Yes. So I'm just going to read it anyway. Um, but that's kind of all I can do. I can't teach. So the disease took, it, t- it takes, things. I guess that's how I see It is something that takes slowly has been taking things away. Hmm. Um, it's kind of like its own entity. I don't, some, it's hard, i don't it's hard to see mm-hmm. it's not like something vi- you know visual i remember my mom died of non-hodgkin's lymphoma and i remember at the end of her life cuz my sisters and i were talking there was nothing in that room but the disease my mom was gone mm-hmm. so i know that happens and i know that will happen i kind of want to avoid some of the things that happen <laughs> or life as I think they were a lesson. Um, I don't like the idea of saying so-and-so's a diabetic instead of a person with diabetes. I understand language is just semantic sometimes, but I'd rather be me first. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's this thing that just eats. It's like a hungry hungry little bunch of tumors. It just eats things have a
4: different no that's uh that's really well put is that 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 answers the question yeah yeah
1: yeah i have to be careful what i say because i (laughs) a few months ago before i knew i had a huge tumor in my arm and they wanted to kind of pretty much cut that off i was saying i'm really lucky i'm really lucky i can talk my brain's okay, and I can use my hands. And now I'm afraid, like, if I just said that out loud, the next thing's going to happen. I won't be able to talk or something will be in my brain. It's like, be really, really careful, because if you say it out loud, um, yeah. that'll be gone too. Yeah. And it could happen. I've got this hand. <laughs> got my left foot my right hand.
2: Yeah.
0: Have you learned to live with that sort of? Um, I mean, the 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 unseen thing that that keeps eating that the monkey on your back that mm-hmm. kind of ever present.
1: I mean, have I learned to like like it or
0: appreciate well, it
1: for what it is or something?
0: I, I mean, this is you know purely subjective. Yeah. But yeah. I th- you come you come across as a person who like vibrant, full of life, mm-hmm. and you don't seem. Um, it seems like it has taken things, parts of your identity, parts of your day away mm-hmm. from you. But um, how do you maintain, I guess, a perspective on that?
1: Oh, I don't at all. I, I said to my sister, I go, bury your head in the sand. Today is today. Do what you can today. Have what you can today. And just don't deal with anything till you have to. And I don't mean don't go get your scans. And mm-hmm. I don't mean that because that's in my list of things you have to do. But not today, I don't. Um, so, if I can you know try to plant something or make something or today or have a good conversation with Paul today or call a friend or do something, I'm gonna do it. Um, but I'm very aware that I'm ignoring things mm-hmm. so it, you can't not right mm-hmm. know that
4: <laughs> it's almost it's a, it's a survivor survival mechanism but, too yeah. I mean, you can't I mean, you can't dwell on it and people you know, I, it depends. I've been I've seen situations where people just it's going, ugly. To going to someone's house and it's just really gloom and doom yeah, it's and, ugly. and and it's just it's, i mean not' even being judgmental i mean it's just people are just bummed yeah. you know not just sometimes the person who's sick is the least bummed in in a sense they're mm-hmm. the ones who are trying to be gracious to you as a as a guest or a mm-hmm. stranger in the house and stuff like that it it's it's house by house.
1: Yeah, I, and I didn't mean ugly, like judgmental about them. I meant the oh. the experience of it, right. it. So I kind of feel like repression works just fine for us, and yeah. that's our that's our plan. <laughs> uh,
0: we talk uh, about we talk. Uh, we, oh, we, we talk we, a lot. We talk. We're very this open. This not. And we talk, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're on a podcast right now. actually. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. Oh wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're taping this. <laughs> no, we talk a lot. Yeah. A lot, a lot,
4: and a lot and it. we talk. You know, we have we have friends that are mutual friends, and we have friends, she has her friends and I have my friends, and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't gab about the situation, but people are very concerned about me, too, my friends, and, and, and her, because they're friends, they're, they know her well, and my friends all like her uh, very much, and, uh, you know, so they ask me every time, hey, how's Deb doing, and I go, well, not great, you know, uh, or, you know, I'm, I'm just straight up talking to him, and, they want to, sometimes they'll ask me a little more, Uh, and I, sometimes I engage, and sometimes I go, she's just not doing great, man, just, we're, we're hanging tough, we have, I always point out the truth, which is we have a, a good time every day about something, we have laughs every single day, there's, uh, even, even in, um,
1: even well, sometimes particularly in the worst yeah, time. Particularly, exactly,
4: <laughs> so it's not like a 24-7 thing, but uh it's. It's, it's interesting for uh, the dynamic of other people and how they are how they process it. they, they you know I mean sometimes some
1: people are unnerved by our Yiddish sensibility yeah, that all right. things are funny at all times. <laughs>
4: right. yeah it, it's, it's uh, so people revert to cliches a lot it's, you know one door when one door closes, another door opens. Well
1: so oh, my I favorite is she has she given up? I love that Has name. she
4: given up. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> but just on you. <laughs> yeah. It's been interesting who who has shown up in a big it way is. and who it has is. disappeared. That's we yeah. talk about that sometimes, yeah. and I think some mm-hmm. people are just it's scary to them or Freaks they don't know quite what to say. Which you think kind of would end by the time people are thirty, but yeah. it doesn't. Are really best friends? Yeah, they're all still really there.
4: Yeah. And now that the uh, vaccinations are are happening, and this, this pandemic may be, I'm not, oh, I'm, no. I'm not going to jinx it either uh, uh, by saying it's you know we're in the eleventh hour; it's almost over. But uh, it's, it seems to be heading in a better direction. I mean, we can have people over, which has been terrible for the for a year. I mean, mm-hmm. she, you know, she can't she can't hug her sister, you know, her, her dear, her dear sister. I was sister. worried
1: that I would die before the pandemic ended, and yeah. I wouldn't have gotten to. Um, like spend some really good time with my sister and my son. Like but in upbeat
4: in upbeat pandemic news, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was able to work out of here for the last year. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. now these days pandemic. I'm a criminal investigator for the state of Arizona, criminal um, stuff and uh, downtown. But it's been closed for the better part of a year. It's reopening you know, pretty much in, next week. Um, but I've been able to work out of here, and so I was able to not have to take any uh, any time off, family leave or anything like that, just take care of her and work a little bit on the side. You know, shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> 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 I'm yeah. kidding, Attorney General Brnovich. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah. It's kind of been an interesting yeah. time to be sick.
0: Yeah, really. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad it's over. To go back a little bit, you you mentioned someone, you know, like, people say like oh has she given up. Um I think uh, I find a lot of times around these uh kind of life and death um situations a lot of people use phrases like given up, fighting or struggling or things like that. How do you relate to the that sort of terminology to your experience?
1: In a in a non-poetic way like fighting against the light kind of thing. Um
0: Well or, or uh, well poetic too, you know, like you know people say like oh Well, because it kind of is poetic, right? It's like people will be, oh, they're fighting something. Metaphorical. Yeah. yeah. There's something you can never touch. You can never.
1: Yeah. I, (laughs) being me and just a, just a tad on the controlling side sometimes, um, (laughs) I want to decide how this goes from now on. And I didn't for a while. I was, I guess, trying to see how it was going to go. And now I've have enough familiarity with how this goes I think and, and know enough about it that I want to decide. So if giving up means not doing absolutely everything to stay alive because I could literally I could be half like literally are gonna like cut me off below the <laughs> Go from midline across the airline I could be a talking head almost literally. I have no interest in that so if if giving up means, not doing everything to stay alive, then I gave up a long time ago because I was never going to do that. Um, If giving up means not trying to live my day every day and try to contribute something, at least something, to the world or to Paul or somebody somewhere, um, then no, I haven't given up. But I hate that phrase. It's so stupid. It's so not stupid. It's so unmeaningful. It's a like the worst kind of platitude because it's almost it's a it's disparaging. It's like I they have an idea of how I am supposed to be doing this in a type of cancer that they don't know anything about. Um,
4: and you notice in the obits, it always it always it, someone <laughs> always loses their life after a valiant. Like there's a, a thing in the fight. There's, in yeah.
1: the onion we read this one um joke obituary and it said what John Smith lost his cowardly battle with cancer <laughs> <laughs> And I always thought I, I always thought that was just wonderful because yeah. it's like it's the same with everybody and, and not everybody's fight is the same.
4: With a quote, He quit on day one. <laughs> 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 yeah. Poor guy. Yeah. I feel bad for him. Yeah. It's
1: like it was just how he wanted to run it, you know?
4: Yeah. That's a great question, though. They, the, in, in words count, and, and that that sentiment is uh, is pervasive. Well, it's an easy way out, but too. it
1: depends who it's come
4: from. Well, yeah. I no, mean,
1: we've had people really trying to be sincere who just um, gobbledygook falls out of their mouth. More, it's not a new thing, mm-hmm. and so those people you'll spend extra time with and try to explain. Mm-hmm. We have friends that are not the most articulate about emotional types of things. Mostly, Paul's friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
4: true
3: <laughs> he has lots <laughs> of, of cop friends
1: and yeah my my friends are a lot of psychologists and philosophers and artists artists love to talk mm. about
4: emotion you we know. like to grunt spit yeah um you know yeah. nod, nod yeah. knowingly at each yeah. other itch in places <laughs> itch. <laughs> <laughs> scratch
1: <laughs> yeah and so yeah so the neanderthals we talk to a little more about yeah. things
4: yeah there's uh, a good friend of mine who uh is a retired uh, murder cop he uh and he's very really smart guy and he, he was grilling me at lunch last week but how is she how how is she gonna What is gonna kill her i mean how does she die mm-hmm. that's a good question you know and i said we don't we we have different uh answers to that or speculative speculative answers to that um and uh but you know and he just it just couldn't he couldn't wrap around his head uh you know I, I described to him about tumors and how tumors are, don't they don't look necessarily like a tennis ball I mean they they and they go they seek the path of least resistance was that was that right mm-hmm. and they eat yeah, you know and they eat mm-hmm. you know I I explained that to him and and he was he goes, ooh I didn't know that and you know here's a guy whos I think he's probably 60 something and he um, he's had his wife has had breast cancer before and uh, you know he's he just couldn't wrap it around his head, and and it, but he was so sincere about it that yeah. I that I and and he's a real and he loves Deb, and we've done a lot of couples things together, so it wasn't like he was, I mean,
1: no, he wasn't being nosy or disparaging. No. He's <laughs> an endearing Neanderthal. <laughs> we have some endearing it, Neanderthal. It's changed my mind about um who what love means in a big way, because um, I'm convinced that that's all that exists in the end is love and I think that um, when people are trying to express that it doesn't matter how if you can feel it you can just figure yeah. out how to navigate through it and, yeah. I, and I know it's great you feel that so it's just there's people yeah. who are just saying mm-hmm. absolutely the wrong thing and you can just embrace it and by the end of the conversation, it's all good and
3: everybody gets
1: it. It doesn't need to, the words don't need to be correct. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, Because um, you know
4: they care. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. I think one thing, um, you know, like after you sharing your stories, Deborah and Paul, about what your friends are saying, there's this, the use of the word fight, it's always like fighting against like the disease, right? Um, but I think when you were reflecting like, oh, if giving, giving up means this, like xyz that like i want to like live life how i want to i think maybe we can reframe it as like what are we fighting for instead um that's just one like tidbit that like a wise doctor once said to me is you know whenever people get that mentality of like oh why isn't this patient fighting for something or why is he just giving up it's not that it's they're fighting for something else and it's not so much against
1: I love that. And my one of my best friends said, we all need to plan another trip. So we're planning another trip. And I'm like, you, you weren't so sure about this before. Why do you want to do it? She goes, because it always makes you happy to have something to look forward to. And I go, oh, that's true. Let's just do it. She goes, it'll work out or won't work out. Let's Sedona. do it.
4: Sedona in May, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. in
1: May. And that's like it might be a mess, but let's just do it. And so we did. But it is, it's about looking forward to things. 'Cause I just love seeing all of them. We all we have a really good time. It's a it's a fun group.
4: <laughs> yeah, three couples. Her her and and friends that grew up on either side of her, exactly on either side of her, and they met when they were two and three years old and have been like sandbox mate, playmates since they were that old. Wow. And here they are in their fifties. One one was mentioned earlier, ER Doc in Tucson, now running a medical uh, um, resource service for court cases and things and the other friend is a was an rn and retired rn retired sheriff's deputy coke figure who's uh who comes down from reno and spends time with uh with deb did you meet her yeah Amy?
1: We, she made tie-dye with oh that's julie, right. Yeah. right yeah
4: yeah julie yeah
1: you want to give a shout out to julie, <laughs> hey, julie. <laughs> yeah. she's gonna listen to this at some point hey hey everyone I forgot. hey sherry we're hey exactly. andy <laughs> we're talking about you and burton i <laughs> love yeah Love um, you guys. Yeah. No, it made it's such a well. What I love particularly about them is that they, they don't treat me particularly in any way differently. Really, no. I mean, m- maybe no. they're talking about things differently, but they're just as um, um, <laughs> enjoyably abusive in their humor and how they <laughs> treat me as they always uh, the, have th- been. The
4: three of them are just
1: a, a stitch,
4: <laughs> they, and they 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 finish each other's thoughts. To, to,
1: well, it's well, it's interesting that we all went into like try to alleviate world suffering in some way and how um, we're all very different politically, like really different yeah. politically, and but it doesn't matter, oh. which is nice these it days. It is interesting, yeah. And that um, w- that we had each other because w- when we all st- got old enough to really start talking about what's going on in the houses behind things in this neighborhood, we realized, oh, we, that the reason we all probably did better than some of our siblings was because we had each other, mm-hmm. um, and that that was that it was a peer group that was the um home, that it, that was the safe place, not not the house, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah,
4: And that was yeah. back that was back in the day we played outside all day, all day, and all get day. Day. <laughs> <laughs> out, <laughs>
1: yeah, come home for dinner, <laughs> yeah. do
3: the dishes, go again, get out. <laughs> <laughs> In medical school, you you don't hear these things. You continue with those flashcards. You continue with those practice <laughs> questions. Um, you know, boost right. up that average because everything's about scores. And you don't you don't face the humanities aspect that is so core to medicine, and we just leave it aside and expect that you know after four years of not touching it, we'll become masters of it. And that's not <laughs> the case, right? Well, oh. this, you know, the anatomy and this
1: the flashcards. Those are important too. Right, but I, I guess okay. So my fear or my thought is that um, graduate school, medical school, advanced education trains you to do what you're going to do, like at that time. And so if you're training yourself to ignore yourself, not take care of yourself, study all the time, not follow your passions, leave them behind because your real life's going to start later and you can pick it up then, um, that that's what you've trained yourself to do and that you'll just train yourself to do that better during residency. And after that four years, you won't remember what your passion is. You'll think back to high school to what you used to like. Someone will say, well, wow, you're different now and you won't know what they're talking about. Do you know what I mean? It's like you'll, you really will lose yourself. And so I think that going into therapy with a good therapist would be a great thing, Finding that thing that you love, whether it's art or running or cooking or whatever it is, and making a sacred time to do it. Set up some kind of structure. Take a class where you have to go there too, and and um, make time for family. Like have a Sunday night call where you're gonna do whatever, and make sure you check in with those people. And do not allow that to happen. Just do, just refuse to have that happen.
4: That's a really big point, and that's one thing that she's she's taught me because I mean you know, Journalism is a 24/7 job, but I learned uh, early on in the game with her, and um, continued. I stopped uh, myself to do exercise every day. I would I walk five miles a day mm-hmm. now, and just like in that's, interesting. Yeah. that's interesting. So
1: that's interesting because one I I always think of you as the person who never let your passions. Um, Fall by the wayside. I mean, you still play fast pitch softball.
4: Yeah, no, it's true. And uh, but I, that was a pri- that, that was kind of a priority for me.
1: You, but you made your passions a priority. You changed your life to organize. That's true. Your passions, as opposed to the alter the alternative, and and life only gets busier. It only, there's only more pressures. You have kids. Yeah. You have older parents that need your help. You have things just are going to happen in life. Yeah. And you always did all of those things. I think probably better because you had organized so much around your passions that you never felt these regrets. You don't have those regrets I have where I spent all those years not doing artwork because yeah. I had things to do. I had to do these things.
4: Maybe you just gave me such positive reinforcement about it. That, I mean, you really hmm. you really told, you know, go, go go play that extra tournament. You know, go to take that trip to Ohio or whatever
1: well you know how much is enough you know well if you think about money you can you can set a mark and go how much is enough and um anything after that anything after that safety net feeling that you have to have is just more money you know um a really good friend of mine louise baca who also might hear said you know people don't their last words are not i wish i worked more maybe i wish i you know at this point maybe i wish i could have gotten to but i I think that what sh- what resonates is that it's the people and the fun and the joy and the passion. Yeah. That's what you regret not doing and you regret disconnecting too. Yeah. You know, and you need, oh my God, it's so great to have a friend from childhood who just says, well, you know, you were just being such an ass during that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. I mean, they're not, hey, Dr. Lewis. Whatever you say, Doctor Lewis. Right. They're like, "Hey, quit being an ass. You're <laughs> you need those people. You need your you need your people."
4: Believe me, she'll call me on. She calls me on stuff every yeah, day. Yeah, you have to lives,
1: surround so yourself with those people.
4: Vice versa, though, I'm, I'm much kinder and gentler now. Since oh, you're such a gentle man. <laughs> but no, and you also
1: need someone to say. Yeah. And I have people going, "Why aren't you taking our Why aren't you taking our class? Why aren't yeah. you doing that? Why yeah. why are you why are you trying to do so much? What what's that extra thing really gonna?"
4: for you but they're just starting their their
1: my fear is that they've already trained themselves out of some things that they wish they had done i bet they can sit there right now and tell you three things (laughs) they know they should be doing that they're not doing or things that they're not doing you know or or vice versa right now that they have the last four years they've let go by the wayside because they had to memorize their flashcards is this true yeah yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. and if you put aside 20 minutes a day 20 minutes a day to put one of those back in think of what that means I used to say 20 minutes a day you can learn to play the piano it mean, it means something and what's 20 minutes a day really going to do out of your studying really mm-hmm. right and so if you could read a novel or or do nothing walk your dog or do nothing I, that's, point. that's
4: the thing I've been I've been much better at in the last year I mean I'll just sit and just I mean it's really a little atrium out there which you've sat out Amy is uh, really a cool place at night with a little mm-hmm. The light. Well, meditative? It's and like a meditation. And I don't take calls. You know, I have the phone in case she wants to, in case Deb calls me. But I, mean, I just sit there and just, you know, the dog. It's very, the dogs are very friendly. So I just, it chills me out, man. You know, I don't listen even, even listen to music, which I'm a music freak, and it's like it's really a good thing for me to do, every day.
1: But I mean, I think if you were talking about what we want about the good doctors, it was the guy who, heard me. Now I don't know. I didn't I checked to make sure he was qualified, but I didn't ask his friends, is he the smartest one? Or that's not what I was doing. Did he get the best score on
2: on step, <laughs> on, one, whatever. On, step yeah, <laughs> on whatever. Yeah, whatever. It was not what I was concerned about.
1: Um, I assume that if people know themselves, they won't be doing anything out of their competence area, right? So if you have someone who's an ethical person, they're not gonna be doing something they shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. So I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about the doctors not um taking care of themselves and not feeling like they have the time to listen and um i, I really i actually like worry about that mm-hmm. i like I worry about everything but i worry about people not um connecting with themselves and i and i'm serious about therapy and people oh, i would never have time for that or that's so far out of my wheelhouse but um uh, which i also thought for a while <laughs> even though i Studying it. I had a terrible therapist in graduate school. I had a master therapist after that. I had a master therapist, a psychiatrist who I just, he just helped me so much. And I was like, oh, it really works. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it really works.
1: Holy cow. Yeah. He's gone now. He's dead now.
4: He died? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. I never got to meet him.
1: People die.
0: I've heard. Deb, Paul, thank you so much for having us in your house. Thanks, Cooper. Thanks, Amy.
1: Thanks, Amy.